We turn then to Luke 22 and to verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water, Follow him into the house where he entereth in, and ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until ye be, it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Let's just bow in prayer a moment. O oh Lord, we thank Thee for these precious words and this wonderful account of the institution of this table that we are coming to today. We rejoice that this is not the invention of man, but it is ordained of thee for our good, for our souls, and that we might truly remember your death and never get carried off to some side issue, but that we are always brought back to Calvary. O Lord, grant that today that you would bring us back to the cross that our faith would be fixed afresh upon the one who bled and died for us. But we rejoice also that thou art now in glory at the right hand of the Father. 
pleading for your church and your people and for us with the very wounds in your hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your death for us. Help us to take it in, what it meant for thee, the Holy One, to die, for man, the creature's sin. Give liberty and help now and shut us in with yourself. Grant us your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the challenges of ministering about the Lord's table are those fearful words that you find in 1 Corinthians 11, that we are not to drink or eat unworthily. And I have found over the years that when we quote those words and we try to even emphasize those words, that this is what happens. The strongest believer the holiest Christian who is most sensitive to sin concludes that they're not worthy to participate. And the one who is rather heedless to the things of God counts themselves as worthy. So it behoves us to be very careful about what we say on that and how we minister on that word worthily. There's not one of us here today who is truly 100% worthy to participate at this table. Because this table is not for the righteous, but for sinners. For those who acknowledge that they come short. That they in no way meet the righteousness of God's holy standard. But that we have set that standard as our goal. We strive toward it. And some days we do very well and we praise God for the victory of the gospel within our hearts and souls. We sing the song within our soul that we're liberated and set free. And then the next day we could be down feeling defeated. Whether it is due to actual sin or due to some uh, spirit of memory of sin, or whatever it is that troubles our souls, we do not feel worthy at all. And so, the simple point to make here is that we must eat and drink in faith. The person who has no faith in the Lord Jesus, no faith in his work in Calvary, no assurance that what Christ did at the cross was sufficient and for them. How can we invite them to come and participate at this table? This table is for sinners, but believing sinners. Those who rejoice in what our Lord Jesus has done and accomplished for us. And so when the Lord says to us, remember me. We are to lift up our hearts in faith, in the fullness of confidence that what the Lord has done for us is altogether sufficient. I want to simply state a few things today that the Lord says, remember the greatness of my sacrifice. 
Now this comes up because in this institution of the Lord's table, it was the replacement of the Passover. Now in the very first Passover night, there was an offering of a lamb for each and every home in the Israelites in Egypt. You think of the multitudes of lambs that were slain. Some calculate that the Israelites at that time were up to two million people. If you allow that they were living multi-generationally with maybe grandparents, parents, and children in one home, you could have perhaps 10 in one home. One lamb for 10 people, 2 million people, that's 200,000 lambs on the night of the Passover offered to stay the angel of death that he would not visit their homes and bring death to the firstborn. The Passover speaks of an amazing sacrifice. And of course, now we do not worship by the blood of animals. We do not bring our physical sacrifices today, but we lift our eyes to Calvary and to the infinite value of the death of our Lord Jesus. In one death, and this of course is Uh, very fundamental to our faith. One death, never repeated, never to be added to, but in one death, our Lord Jesus offered up a sacrifice that was all sufficient and all efficient to save every one of his people for all eternity. Now, that can only be true because of the person of our Lord Jesus that was dying on the cross. He was God and man. His blood is the blood of the God-man. And the value of his blood is in the divinity, the dignity, the person of our Lord Jesus himself. And so as we are called upon to remember me, we are to remember the infinite value of the sacrifice that our Lord Jesus offered on that cross. And it is essential that we do not lose sight of the worth of the sacrifice. And when we go back to that point, eating and drinking worthily, we don't look at ourselves. We don't look at our own hearts. We will find enough there to disappoint us and drive us away. We are called to remember the sufficiency, the value, the worth of Jesus' sacrifice. And it was altogether sufficient. And with our faith in the worth and worthiness of Christ's sacrifice, we take these symbols these signs that we do eat and drink. Do you have that faith today? Are you looking to the Lord Jesus alone? Do you believe that when he died on that cross, he died for you and that his blood is of infinite value? One sacrifice for all time, for our sins, past, present, and future, 
all through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus. Now, the next thing to remember is the purpose and the people of his sacrifice. Now, this verse 20, if we go back here to Luke 22, verse 20, you will see that this was spoken to the disciples. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. There's the people. Shed for you. The Lord has a people in mind when he suffered and when he died. Uh, back in Matthew 26, it says that he, was, he died and he shed his blood for many, for the remission of sins. Now, the word remission simply means to free us from, to free us from the very grip of sin. And we, like those Israelites in Egypt, in bondage, in slavery, needing to be set free, and God ordained this means of the the blood of the Lamb to stay the angel of death while judgment would come upon the Egyptians. God's people would be spared and they would be liberated. To us today, this table represents the liberating sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And so we come to eat and drink as liberated people, people who were in bondage. Yes, once I was in sin, once I was controlled by the power of this world, but the Lord Jesus has shed his blood for the remission, the liberation of my soul from sin. And so we come as a free people, a liberated people. And so there is in this celebration, not just mourning, but rejoicing. Like the Israelites on the other side of the sea, singing the song of Moses, rejoicing in the redemption and the liberty that the Lord gave to him. So we can take this communion today with that wonderful liberty within our souls. I can shout from the top of the roof, I am free, free from sin. Hallelujah, free. And by this simple faith, it makes me now to eat and drink worthily and to rest and rejoice that the work is done, price is paid, and the jail gates are open. I am free, free indeed. Another thing to remember is the perpetuity of this sacrifice, that it is ongoing. It must be perpetual because not only did these disciples do what they were told on that night, but the apostles took this up and made it the institution within the new church, the New Testament church. You know, of course, 1 Corinthians 11, how Paul took and quoted the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he quoted these words and instituted this in the church at Corinth. It was the New Testament practice. And through the course of Christian history, this has been the practice of the New Testament church, and they do it repeatedly, repeatedly. Some churches do it every week. Some do it twice a year. Free Presbyterians, for the most part, do it once a, once a month. 
And here we are, uh, repeating this obedience to the Lord, remember me, with these two symbols, these two signs. And this is possible because of the high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus. He took his own blood, entered into heaven, and he pleads for us on the basis of his own sacrifice. You're probably familiar with that verse in Hebrews seven sixteen that he ministers by the power of an endless life. The power of an endless life. Now, this is to the world so incongruous. This is almost seems to be opposites. How can that be? He died, but he rose again. He ascended. He ever lives to intercede. That's Hebrews 7, 16. And he pleads with his own blood and with the palms of his hands, the wounds he offers before the Father. And with that authority, we come again and again with fresh faith, fullness of expectation of God's blessing, and these blessings are ours. Now these signs are very simple. And the Lord used them that way. And think about it, these are the only signs that we have in a gospel Bible-believing church. These are the only signs we have. We don't use any signs whatsoever. I would be very disappointed if I came into Phoenix FPC building and I noticed there was crosses and images and pictures and icons and so on. There's not one. We have the Word of God. Do we have a pulpit fall? Uh, The burning bush? That's something that has come out of the Reformation. Uh, But it's not a focus of worship by any means. We don't worship a bush at all, at all, at all. And so these are the only two signs, and they're given by the Lord himself. But I want to say to you, don't stop at the signs. The signs are helps to our faith. And I illustrate it this way. If you're driving down a highway, and you, you say, it's time to eat. It's time to pull in somewhere and, and get something to eat. And you see a sign for a restaurant. Let's think of something better than McDonald's. Let's think of something that might really be making it worth your stop. But when you see that sign and it says, restaurant 5Ks, whatever, five miles, whatever. You don't go into the field where the sign is. You don't pull up at the sign. You go, you follow the directions to the the restaurant where the food is served. And this is the mistake that so many make. Because they are eating and drinking without faith. They stop at the signs. And in our human blindness, we accept the signs as sufficient. Now, when I say we, I don't for a moment include myself, nor you. I'm speaking in those general terms. Apostate churches, large bodies of people that serve the the communion and 
And they do this in multiplied times. But they stop at the signs. The sign is to lead us to the Savior. To consider his blood atonement, his sacrifice, his bleeding and dying for us. Don't stop at the symbols. And the Lord says, believe on me. Put your faith in me. Put your total confidence in my work. I remember early on in my ministry in Vancouver, we were in a small little church in an older part of town, and there was a man who came in, and at the end of the service, a young man, and he says, I have a question that's bugging me. How can Calvary mean anything 2,000 years later? How can an historic event that took place in another part of the world with a people of a different culture, how can it have anything to do with me today? And of course, here's the answer. The perpetuity of the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus, done once. But the power, the blessing, rolls on and on and on for those who will avail themselves of that atoning blood. And so today we rest with confidence that this is not just an historic event, this is not just an exercise of history, This is something the Lord is doing for me now. He's ministering for me now. And that that fills the heart with great assurance that I may eat and drink worthily. Next, remember the acceptance of the Lord's sacrifice. And the Lord would say that to us. Remember me. And when you're remembering me, remember the acceptance of my sacrifice. Now, acceptance is so important. When Cain brought his offering to the Lord, that was rejected. Abel's was received. What a difference. What a heritage we have from the line of Abel in comparison to the line of unbelief in Cain. And of course, our Lord Jesus, his sacrifice was accepted. God raised him up and brought him into glory. And he is there interceding for us. The Father simply said, it's enough. No more suffering, no more payment. And the Father has accepted him and his offering. Now, That brings us to look upon that and say, we do not just look upon an historic event. We look upon an offering that the Father has received and his blessing is upon his Son. And we now are accepted in him as one of the great thrills of the Christian life to know that we are accepted in the beloved. 
Ephesians 1 is a great chapter to read on that if you care to. To be accepted in the beloved. And by his work and he being accepted, his sacrifice fully accepted, we now come by faith in the blessedness of knowing that we are accepted. Now, I did a little word study on that word accepted, and it, it's the same word that the angel said to Mary, thou art highly favored. It's the Greek term charitou, thou art highly favored. And when Paul said in Ephesians 1 that we are accepted in the beloved, means highly favored. It's not just a legal document thrown out and, yeah, go ahead. Highly favored. Brought in with the fullness of blessing. And so we can eat and drink today with that assurance that we are accepted as highly favored. In our hymn 618, In the beloved accepted am I, risen, ascended, and seated on high, saved from all sin to his infinite grace, with the redeemed ones accorded a place in the beloved God's marvelous grace calls me to dwell in this wonderful place. God sees my Savior, then he sees me in the beloved, accepted and free. And as we put our hands to those symbols to remember our Lord's death, The Father sees his Son accepted, and he sees you and me. One other point before we move to the table here, if you bear with me. The Lord says, remember my love for you in my sacrifice. Now, every one of these pointers today, headings, if you will, is all about Jesus' sacrifice, what he did on the cross, what he offered to the Father. And, of course, it was a tremendous demonstration of his love. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Or as Paul says, Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Do you want to know this morning that the Lord loves you? That you're beloved of God? Do you want to know that? Surely there can be no greater question for a Christian, one who's interested in the gospel, just to know that I am loved. And as we take our hands to these signs, they they speak to us. They are signs to advertise the great display of God's wonderful, powerful love from all eternity. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. The word show means to preach. We're preaching this morning. I'm preaching in the pulpit. You're going to preach using these symbols. You're going to declare to everyone here today that this is your faith. This is your hope. 
This is your peace with God. This is your gospel. The very death and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. So as we take these symbols today, let's shut everything out and just hear the Lord Jesus' words. Remember me. Remember me. Go beyond the signs and obey the voice of the Savior. Remember me. Everything must focus and finish resting on him. Can you do that today? If so, you're bidden to come. And you have this privilege of so declaring and so sharing your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus.